Shake Up the Establishment is a youth-led, registered, national, non-partisan, non-profit organization that operates within the geographical confines of what is currently known as Canada, but what is referred to by its first peoples as Turtle Island. Hello, established listeners. My name is Jose Rayero Sanchez. And I am Luisa Salek. And we are speaking from traditional territories and lands of the Muskin, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish peoples. Today, we'll be talking to you about experiences in navigating the climate justice space in what is known as Canada and our own inroads in Latin America, reflecting on similarities and overarching sentiments across these regions. The topics in this discussion involve well-being, social mobility, and perspectives that are deeply rooted in thousands of years of culture, ways of knowing, and oral history. We're acknowledging that this episode will only scratch the surface of the depth of these subjects, given our position as guests on this land for a short period of time. Today, we use our voices in an attempt to engage with other ways of knowing and being as a compass that can quoting Dr. Danes Andreotti, point to the need for us all to become healthy elders and good ancestors for all relations, to learn to live, to grieve, to give, and to die well. According to Vanessa, this involves unlearning or learned ways of thinking and imagining, of sensing and feeling, of relating to one another, the earth and the cosmos, of facing life, fear, pain, loss, and death. The direction of the discourse will be informed by those in the community we were able to connect with and the stories we are gifted and able to share. We are very happy to be joined by Azul. Thank you so much for being here today. Hi, thank you for having me. Hi, Azul. Hello. I'm going to introduce Azul Carolina Duque, who was born and raised in Colombia and is currently a settler in Coast Salish territories, colonially known as Vancouver. She's a member of the Gesturing Towards Decolonial Future Collective, and her artistic practice invites relating to embodied sounding as a tool for remembering ourselves out of our collective denials. She's also learning how to walk the path of relating to music as a living entity, as opposed to a product to be consumed or exploited for validation. She is the producer of podcast series, A Conversation with Indigenous Elders and the Products of Sustainability, and much more. We're really happy to have you today. Oh, yeah, very happy to be here talking to both of you about this. To share a little bit about yourself before we begin as well. Yeah, I was, as you say, I'm born and raised in Colombia and, and being Latina is an, an important part, I think, of my identity. I am also an educator and an artist in training for both of those, really, um, just learning so much about and re-understanding constantly what it means to be an artist in these um, travel troubled times, but also what what education is needed and what kind of educators are needed. So that's what I would like to share about myself for now. Thank you for sharing that. Talk a bit more about this this education. Where does it come from? What are you an educator for? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Interesting question. Um, what am I an educator for? <laughs> Being part of the of the collective, the gesturing towards the Colonial Futures Collective, um, I've been incredibly lucky to have met people who are asking difficult questions about and, and important questions about what education is needed now. And so in some ways, I think of myself as learning how to sit with complexity. And that, when I speak about complexity, I'm talking about complexity in many different layers. 
because we are in a moment we are going through what is called liquid modernity so this idea that the reality that we live in right now is so volatile it's changing really quickly if we think about modernity before being solid much more stable truths or the illusion of stable truths was much more upheld but now we're moving into a space where things are very fluid right we can think for example of gender and sexuality but it happens in in all layers of identity and so if you add to that climate destabilization biodiversity collapse um social collapse you know all these things add the levels increase the levels of complexity and so in some ways i think of myself or i would like to think of myself as an educator who is sitting with this question of how can we res- how can we be responsible to these really highly complex times we live in and that responsibility really calls for maturity um just connecting to the quote you were reading at the beginning how do we become healthy and wise elders um and that's a central question i think of when i think of myself as an educator and you know it's a lot about um learning together right it's not like i am teaching anybody anything really it's about how do we learn together because what we're going through we've never been through before right these are unprecedented times really and so it's about failing um and making new mistakes, but doing so with a level of responsibility. Beautiful words, I think. I I always struggle with this idea of modernity, understanding my identity and playing with it and going to places and comparing myself. Just a lot of emotions along that way. I, I care a lot about, about climate justice, about the climate emergency. It's overwhelming, I think, because, I mean, as a Latino that comes to Canada, I have encountered that, you know, I'm chasing this dream for what could be called social mobility. So for me, it's, it's a, it's a mix of, you know, do I come into this, into this country, into these communities in Canada as a settler? Do I come here as someone who's just trying to make the most out of opportunities to advocate for climate justice? Um, There's a lot into it. Thinking of the communities that we become a part of when we come here and what does that mean? In Latin America, we hear a lot about the term brain drain and people coming in and out and what that entails. And I think sometimes we're not even aware that we're interacting with all these dimensions of modernity, but we are. Vanessa talks about how that has become, that is the air that we breathe. And it is in all of us, is everywhere and can be felt everywhere. And how do we find the words to express ourselves and this pain that we share that is a collective pain, but that we've become so numb to and that we almost don't have the capacities to hold and to feel and to express in language. What is modernity? How do we relate to it? And how by knowing that it is there and it is and it inhabits in each one of us, how can we do this internal work? Yeah, I think you just brought a lot of points that I, I can see so many branches branching out for from many things you just said. But um, I want to I want to rescue a few of those and then kind of tie them together if I can remember. Um, yes, you're speaking about brain drain. And when you came here, like you're kind of reflecting a little bit on, on and you too, Jose, on your path when as you as you arrive here as Latinos. Right. Um, because we say you're Brazilian. And as you said, um, Jose, you're Mexican. I'm Colombian. Um and and 
one thing that modernity does or that is really good at is creating these markets, right? Of course, we understand capitalism in a particular way and free markets in a particular way, but it also creates a market of value and a set of identities that then we trade with, that we also engage with in an economy of worth, right? And we see this really clearly, for example, on social media, when we create um, curated profiles of ourselves and then we in some ways make ourselves a product to then be consumed by other liked or disliked, um, hyper-consumed, go viral, etc., right? Um, and so one of the things that relates here in modernity is this conversation about, about identity politics and who has a voice and why. And then we begin to race each other and to compete with each other, even in the conversations about sustainability or social justice. For example, when I got here to Canada, I, so I am a white passing Latina or a white Latina, really. It's, it's complicated to locate myself exactly in at that spectrum. But when I got here, I remember a lot of people telling me, you're a person of color, you're a person of color, do you want to come speak as a person of color? And at the beginning, it was really enticing to be a person of color because it gave me a platform. And I would love to capitalize on that, right? And later, I began to see that that is very problematic. <clears throat> because yes, here I am seen as a Latina. And yes, I you know have an accent and that places me in a particular location within certain conversations but ultimately I speak English I came from a family where there was always food on the table you know I had I went to a private education regardless if I came here with a scholarship or not it's almost um, irrelevant I am a person in Latin America that is part of the at least top 10% of my country and so when I come here, I cannot occupy the spaces of I am the marginalized because it is really embarrassing. And I did that for many years because it gave me that capital and because it triggered these. We also talk a lot about um, like the, the neural system, the endocrine system, like the whole, we, I use it as a metaphor in the, in the collective, but we speak about the endorphins and the dopamine and, and these hormones that keep us really addicted to feeling good and feeling heard. We also speak about this idea of doing good, looking good, feeling good. And mm -hmm. in the global north, and especially in spaces in university like the one we, we were in or are in, people love that. We love that. We love the idea of doing good, feeling good, looking good, as opposed to <laughs> doing what is needed, that in many times doesn't look good and doesn't feel good, right? Um, so with, with time and, and through really um, meeting elders and mentors that gently showed me these parts of me, like showed me mirrors and were, you know, showing me these parts of me and these problematic things, I, I start to realize, no, I, I am much less a part of the solution than I am a part of the problem. In fact, until I... I accept and I integrate the fact that I am a part of the problem, then there's no way I can be a part of the solution. Mm. And so there's this level of humility that is really difficult to access in modernity, really difficult. Yes. And I think also that one of, of the pillars of modernity, are, or as we understand it through another metaphor that we use in the collective, that is the house modernity built, there's the floor, like the foundation of that house that modernity built is separability. Is this illusion that we are separated? Is this illusion that Jose, you're a person, 
um, completely separated from Luisa and then from me and I am separated from the grass and I'm separated from the, from the metals that made this computer and this recording and I'm separated from the electrodes that are flying through the air getting to the ears of whoever is listening to me right now but we're not we're deeply entangled with everything right and so there is where this idea of separation when I think of myself as a, as a separate entity then I feel really lonely really and I feel really um, worthless that's where the idea of worthlessness come so in this void that we feel in this worthlessness what do we need? We need to catch or um, try to grasp onto anything that makes us feel good. And what makes us feel good is the social capital of I am an activist. I am the solution. I am the youth that is going to... As opposed to realizing that we don't need to go into those markets and instead tap into this entanglement. But that's really difficult. That requires ceremony and and those are the ancestral technologies that indigenous communities know how to do so well but am I gonna tell you go learn those technologies and then you know it's really problematic too there's a lot of extractivism there too so anyways thank you for bringing all of that I remember getting here to university and just talking about how everyone was internally really depressed and knowing that that was a collective pain that we were sharing but at the same time not knowing how to be there for each other and and hold that together because that's not taught and that's not being done i think it reminded me of vanessa saying that we're both cute and pathetic and i i'm thinking here azul about everything that you brought and how can we bring a critical view on our dissatisfaction with the current systems and this dominant culture in a way that we can use our privileges to help create something new. Yeah. Um, I feel that we have to sit with that discontentment first. Like we have to feel it. To feel that discontentment is to hold it and to ask what is beneath it or behind it. And, and the answer is probably pain, as you said. A lot of us are depressed. I remember also this moment when I looked around, I think it was like three years ago, and my community of people is is a very, in, all in all, healthy community. But I realize we are all depressed because we're dealing with an earth that is dying. And we are part of this earth. So, of course, we are depressed. And, of course, we're anxious. So, I strongly believe that we need to sit with the pain and we need to feel the grief. And that is a step that we cannot skip we cannot skip. I've learned with some death doulas who are the people that accompany people into dying. And through that experience, I've come to feel in my bones how important it is to metabolize that grief that we're feeling. Because otherwise what we're doing is there's all this pain. And as you said, we're we're very numb. We're numb to it. And how do we numb? Through shopping, through consuming knowledge, through consuming status, through consuming each other through consuming, you know, relationships, every kind of relationship, relationships with land, through mineral extractivism, relationships, um, romantic relationships, relationships through, you know, everything, academia, job, da da da. So we have we're we're experts at numbing. But when we start to declutter all that noise, what we start to feel into is that connection with land that is ourselves and that pain, because that connection has been strongly severed it's been wounded no as you herida 
desde, es una herida muy profunda. Entonces, when we start working with that grief, then there's nowhere we're going to find quick solutions for it because the grief brings the immensity of the problem. And then you know that technology won't bring it, won't, won't bring about the solution. Then you know that, um, you know, different forms of capitalism will bring on the solution. Then, you know, you start seeing that all these things are not going into the depth of the pain that we're feeling. And from there you sit and you listen. And then the solutions are not coming from your cognition, but they're coming from the land. And it's not solutions. The land is saying you just have to connect with yourself. That is also me, you know? We come from her. We come from it. We come from them. Um, and then the question about privilege and what do I do with my privilege is almost no longer a question, but you you get this sense in your gut and you're just like, this is what I need to do. There's no virtue signaling. There's no, I'm using this because of this. There's just kind of like this, impulse that comes from your gut it's like okay this is what i need to do now and this is just what needs to be done and it's not about me it's fully not about me now i say these things i don't do it like it's not like i inhabit this space of clarity i've gotten moments of it through mostly ceremony and artistic practice but most of the times i go back into the what i call the spell i go back to being asleep and i also use these forms of numbing it's not like you know i'm not here trying to say that i've got it already But this is what feels in my bones to be true, or at least the way I'm navigating these times right now. And, and I imagine that listeners in this podcast could be thinking, okay, like, wow, I just heard all of this. Now what? <laughs> Which uh, brings us to, to kind of something to, to follow up with. And it is, you know, gesturing towards the global futures is a collective, right? And and I, I've I've seen that you have tools. So... So perhaps you can talk a bit more about what are some of those tools uh, from GTDF that can help us stay with these problems and engage with the entanglements that, as Dr. Andreotti mentions, are needed for hospicing modernity. Maybe you can speak a bit about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, just before I continue, I, I wanted to to acknowledge really the collective and the that many most of most of the things I'm saying I didn't come up with them myself they came from a group of people including indigenous elders um researchers not indigenous researchers too um and um an incredible amount of work has gone into into all these insights into all these tools that i'm about to share so just really want to acknowledge all the work from these people and non-humans too because it's been also comes through ceremony and comes through those connections. So I'm just here passing on things that were gifted to me. It's it's not like, it's, yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. There's a tool that is very useful that um, I started using about five years ago. And, and through the years, I've gone to know it has taken almost a central role in how I navigate these times. And, and it's called the bus And we write it B parenthesis US parenthesis. So it's the bus within us. Um, and it is a way of um, 
of understanding us ourselves as through multiplicity. So one thing that modernity wants us to believe is that we are a unified single human um, individual that has one view of the world, one opinion and one way forward. When in reality, we're fractaled. We, or, I mean, this is how I see it now and how this tool invites us to see it into. We are fractaled, right? So we have many different, this metaphor invites us to think that we have many different passengers within ourselves. And these passengers are full of their own stories, their own fears, their own wisdoms, their own experiences. So, you know, in in there's a lot of conversation about the ego. And then even last night I was having a conversation with some friends about, you know, the ego. And we think about this one thing that is the ego. But in reality, it's spread all over these different entities that are within us. So when we I start to see myself as a bus full of different characters, then grappling with plurivocality, so many voices and at the same time, becomes more um, bearable. And also what I'm able to see is that I have people inside of me that are racist. I have people inside of me that are homophobic. I have people inside of me that are like, I don't know, deeply extractivist and hungry and violent and scared. You know, just like I also have passengers inside of me who are really wise elders. Um, I have jellyfish and cats and entities that I don't even know what they are. And they're all there. They're all there. So when I'm going through life and different passengers are speaking their opinions, what this tool allows us to do is to listen to those different voices and then discern with a psychoanalytic distance, right? As opposed to say, thinking I am one person and then whoever the passenger who is at the wheel, then I am this person and therefore I'm going to have this racist thought. You can take a step back and say, oh my God, that thought was racist. Where is that coming from? Who are you? Oh, got it. You're this person in my bus. And then you are interacting with this other person in this way. And so it allows you to map a little bit better um, these ways in which we have internalized modernity. And it also allows us to discern, who do I want to listen to now? Um, and sometimes is the voice that is the hardest to listen is the one that we should listen to. Because often what is needed, what needs to be done is not what we want to do. Um, but just to just to finish the, the speaking about this tool here briefly, when we start to grapple better with our internal complexity, we are able to better grapple with the external complexity. Because what's happening in the world is like is that we are much more we're more polarized than ever. And having difficult conversations is becoming increasingly more difficult. But when I can have hold space for the paradoxes within myself, only then will I able to make will I be able to perhaps hold space for the complexities in the world around me. So how do I have unconditional regard for not only my community, but those who are not part of my community? And how do we show up for each other through our differences, through our problematic histories? And I could speak about the bus for hours, but that's just a little snippet into one of the tools that are that is very, very helpful. I've 
come across this a few times before. And it takes a while, I think, for you to learn and internalize. And when I say learn, I don't mean learning with your head, but embodying it and being able to take that step back as, whoa, I know this because I've learned it with my heart. Sometimes I think, whoa, I can hold space for all the sadness and the grief in my life. And I can also hold space for the beautiful things that inhabit my body. They both exist. And that's just where we're at. And, and once you're able to do that for yourself, you're able to do that for others, and for the world. Not because, you know, I have this privilege and thus I have to use it, but because I feel it in my gut and I feel it as a responsibility and, and knowing that with your body. I think I'm going to come back to this a lot, the bus within me. It's so useful. It's incredible, really. And, and it's a tool that was designed to allow us to have difficult conversations. And that's what we need to have right now, more than ever, I want to say. Not only between our communities, but intergenerationally, for example, between people that have really dif different political views in the world. I also want to tackle and tag into something you were saying about not understanding things cognitively, but understanding it with our heart or with our bodies. And I think that's super important because another thing that modernity does is that it reduces us to our cognitive brain, to the mind. If, if we understand the narratives, then things will change. But that's not true. We have the information. We know that there, we won't have food systems, food systems will collapse in the next like 20 years. We know that the oceans, we know all these things. And then we're not changing. We're not taking the action that is needed. So our the indigenous researchers that we work with tell us that we could not be more wrong when we think that way. They say that it's the gut, really, that gets the message. Then the heart processes. And then the brain just is there to create the logistical decisions to follow the, the orders of the heart and the gut, really. Like when we... Our, can align our gut to what is being to how the land is speaking through us then we're able to act accordingly um and i think art artic artistic practices are central to that really like i don't think there's any way that we can dream ourselves out of this mess without artists um not to say that artists are the solution but we, they're indispensable Artistic practices are indispensable because they're working with a type of language that works through metaphor, that is not trying to index the world, that is not trying to give you concrete definitions of, worth, of what things are and what they need to be. But they're rather living. Um, it's this living, como, es casi una cosa etérea que está moviendo las cosas. It's moving things and it's decluttering things. And that's the thing, art taps into realms of the unknown and it doesn't try to know it. It dances with the unknown. And that is something also that, that is one of our impairments in, in modernity, our inability to be humble to the unknown. In, in, in modernity, we really need to understand it all so that we can consume it. But when we let go of that, and I think art, art that arts does that, <laughs> Does that? I think that is super important. Whoa, yes. Should we do a bus? Okay. I could go first. Um, all right. So, so my bus came from Mexico, went through some frontiers, and going through customs is always stressful. 
I get it. You're visiting someone's home, so it's hard. I feel that. I feel that how I, I packed my bag with, with my heart. And I've seen a lot of people getting my bus in the last few years when I arrived to Salish territories. And I've seen the voices change a lot. And I've gotten worried by what I see outside of the window. But I've also seen some some bus drivers uh, telling me to calm down. I have started dancing in the bus when I was told that you should not dance in a bus before. And I begin to meet people in the bus that make that trip easier. It doesn't mean that the trip is going to be less bumpy, but it's become more comfortable to be around people in the bus. I'm, I'm sitting in my bus and I am trying to breathe and see what are the possible paths that I could take from here. And there are many and the possibilities are endless, but the path that, that I want to pursue is different than the path that we've been stimulated lead. This is the path that's laid out for you. And, and sitting with that and allowing for it to unfold differently is the, is the task for me right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something interesting there in the conversation about the path. Um, I'll weave it with my boss. Chief Ninawa speaks about the possibility of quote-unquote better futures depends less of our capacity to imagine those paths forward and those futures and more on the quality of relationships we're able to build today. That is to say, in other words, if we put our energy into mending, building relationships, not only human, but also non-human relationships that are based on trust, respect, reciprocity, and accountability, that is what is going to perhaps take us forward to futures that are, don't look as painful. And that is way much more important that our ability to sit here thinking, where are we going to go next? How are we going to get out of this road that is burning or this flood? And instead looking into my, my bus and saying, okay, folks, our relationship in this bus is fucked. How are we going to work through this? Um, and I think that's a such a much difficult work to do because it's so good to sit mm-hmm. in the window and look outside and say, well, there's a flood here, but over there, there's a beautiful valley. And like, how are we mm. going to get there? And instead, when you look inside and you realize it stinks and you go, okay, there's a massive pile of shit in the middle of this bus and nobody has been wanting to compost it because we're all looking outside of the window looking at the rainbow. So let's turn around, let's smell this shit, and let's get on the work to composting this, really. (sighs) So in my bus right now, there's a lot of toddlers. Oh my God, I've been really, (laughs) there's a lot of toddlers that need a lot of attention and that want things the way they want it. And then there is a few other passengers that really want the toddlers to stop crying. So they will do anything to just make them stop crying. And then there's a few elders that are just sitting in the back quietly observing everything. Yeah, I think that's a really brief version of my post right now, not to get too personal. I love that. (laughs) Well, thank you, Azul. There is, for me, a clear invitation here to focus on the relationships and the quality of them. I want to sit with that for a while, bring that to the way I see my bus 
as well and all the passengers in it and the relationships that we have and perhaps bringing that back to how we relate to our listeners i'm just thinking of who could be listening to savage a lot of people out there might be thinking how to pursue climate action and become political and and do something about the changes they are seeing in a very hot summer is is just not a very optimistic and and it's a really challenging future ahead about taking these reflections and and looking inside and composting and sitting with complexity seems to be some things that are being suggested today um any any other thoughts azul i think i really think that the you know the the first step is for for us for people who are in our position is to inquire how am i a part of this problem and then sitting with the magnitude of the problem so in the collective we use the four denials as a guide into when i say the spell the four denials in some ways make up the spell so The first denial is the denial of violence. You know, people go around thinking, I am not the problem, I am not violent, I am a vegan, I recycle, um, and I study whatever, social justice, um, and I work for an NGO, and therefore I am part of the good team. Um, and instead, when we start to look into the building blocks of modernity, we start to see that those blocks are violent that everything we have from the computers to the healthcare system to um, the roads to the clothes is built by and on dispossession genocide ecocide like incredible amount of pain that we can't even fathom in this lifetime and so when we sit with that 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 single narrative of I am part of the good team begins to vanish, right? And then often what comes in is a sense of guilt that is also not useful because, again, the guilt is centering myself in the story. I'm the guilt, I'm guilty, therefore I'm the victim. And it's decentering the self is part of, of, of I think, of untangling that denial of the violence um, and just sitting with that, saying all right, this is the the system that we live in. Outwards is violent and inwards is violent too because that system has built a lot of, not the entirety, but a lot of who I am. So that's the denial of violence that most of us have in modernity, right? Because we're sold the ideas that modernity is not violent. Well, modernity is great. We have hip surgery and we've been to the moon and, and those things are great. Hip surgery is fantastic. But, you know, we also have to sit with all of, of the rest. And then we have the denial of unsustainability, right? That we think modernity or capitalism or, or, you know, yeah, the modern system is sustainable. We just need to tweak something here and something there. But other than that, we can keep going the way we are going. We can continue our levels of consumption, our ways of relating. We just need to find a better AI or we just need to find some circular economy that is going to keep this way going. And that's a denial because there's absolutely no way, no way we can keep going. Not with circular economies, not with green capitalism, not with a better AI. Absolutely not. There's no amount of 
the amount of concrete that is needed to create the um, hydropower that is needed for a green energy transition is impossible. Like the amount of mining that is required for the lithium for um, electric vehicles would create so much devastation in mega biodiverse regions in the world that there's no point that we have electric vehicles when we don't have the ecosystems that regulate the temperature in the world, that regulate the water cycles, that regulate everything, food growing. If we don't have the bees, you know, we know all of this, but we love it. We are in this denial and we try to find the UN sustainability, what are they called? The sustainable development goal. There, I don't think there is such a thing as a sustainable development, not with the idea of development that we've had until now. And so that's a huge denial. You know, it's, there's a metaphor, I forget who, I think it's Jason Hickel, but he says that this crazy belief and faith that we have on technocracy and, and that technology is going to save us is like jumping from a building and trusting that by the time we fall, somebody's going to build a technology to save us. And the problem is that we already jumped. And I'm just going to let that land for a minute there. And I'll just go through the, the other two denials really quickly because I, I get it too much into the weeds of things. But so there's a denial of violence, a denial of unsustainability. Then then the, there's a denial of entanglement. And that's what we spoke about before, that we, we think we're separate, that we don't think ourselves as nature, right? We say humans and we say nature. And we are land. Our bones are made of the same thing. Our bloods are made of the same thing. Our breath is made of the same thing. Our spirits are made of the same thing. Um, we come from land. It's crazy that we don't think ourselves as land. It's ridiculous. When we talk to our indigenous partners and researchers, it's one of the things that... And and they say this is really the wound. This is where all of the other denials come from. When you... It's like you you got into this spell that made you think that you're separate. Um, So that's the denial of entanglement. And then the last denial is the denial of the magnitude of the problem, which speaks for itself. I don't think we have been trained to hold the immensity of the trouble we're in. I think we genuinely cannot hold it. And so we compartmentalize it, we numb it, we deny it. Because we don't have the capacity to hold so much pain and destruction. Because we've been sold such a different story from every movie and book we've read and political campaign we've seen that it is so far from what we're able to do so those are the four denials that i think are important for people who want to become politically active as what you were sharing before jose thank you for bringing that framework and it's not easy to sit with that I'm really reflecting on the ways that we escape, we try to find these false solutions and green capitalism is also not being talked about enough. Being in Canada and all its mining background, that is something that still has not been acknowledged. So we have this challenge of, uh, okay, maybe all these promises that were made for us, that we're going to have kids and we're going to live in this house and we're going to have this job, this is not going to happen. And we cannot resent the previous generations that came before us from thinking that they had to provide for us. But how do we find the emotional capacity to sit with that? And I find myself talking to my parents about this work and it's it almost feels like a re-education and it's hard to share it with people you love and you care about. 
And that is the magnitude of the challenge that we have ahead of us that we need to start practicing. So thank you for giving us a little bit of perspectives and practices. I encourage people to look them up and go more into the depth of this work. So I have one last question. <laughs> you talked about sitting with complexity and hopefully people will start doing that. What about moving with complexity? If if you get what I mean, maybe maybe some dancing or singing. Do you want me to sing a song? Is that what you're asking? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> how how can we talk about perspectives of a future beyond modernity with the words of modernity? So sometimes art is the only thing that will do it. Sorry, I'm tuning on top of your voice. I'm so sorry. No, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> well, it's interesting when you were saying that, right? Like, how are we going to, it's like the master's tool and master's house, Audre Lorde's quote. And a lot of my songs do have words and are telling a story and are using the words of modernity. But I also think songs do something else. Mm -hmm. But now you're making me want to sing a different song. I think, honestly, anything that you listen in your present in the moment and, and is genuine and honest, there is art to that. I think I'm, yeah, I think I'm going to share another song with the guitar. Because it, it's, it wants to come now. And I don't think I've shared it with people. So I'm just going to do that. Yo quiero ser un mar y correr. Yo quiero sentir viento. Cielo es que hay de encerlos adentro. Cielo es que hay de encerlos adentro. Yo quiero ser un mar y correr yo. Quiero estar en viento. Bosques que arden, serlos adentro. Bosques que arden, serlos adentro. This song is short and it's a, a short prayer and it says in Spanish, uh, the chorus is, skies that burn, be them inside forests that are burning to be them inside and I think I don't need to explain that much given the conversation we have had but um I'll share one last song because I'm feeling musical and then we can, we can get out of here Llanto de un mundo que se quema 
sanar la herida que muy dentro ya arde hay que mover el canto hay que querernos tanto Thank you for sharing your song, your gift, your medicine to this world with us. I can't begin to express what this means. I think you know. So, thank you for joining us, everyone who took some time to listen to this conversation. Feels right to sit with this in this way. I'm going to leave this a bit more with an open heart. So, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah, you for so making this happen. We'll see you next time. Thank you again for coming into the podcast, Azul and Luisa, and sharing your experiences and knowledge around the gesturing towards the Cologne Futures Collective, sitting with complexity, and just navigating these times. To learn more about Suit and staying up to date on Establish, you can follow at ShakeUpTheStaff on Instagram and Twitter and find us at shakeuptheestaff.org. Establish is supported through funds by the Jane Goodall Institute of Canada. The music you hear in the podcast today was created by Greg Markov at Greg Markov on Insta. And this episode was produced by me, Jose Rieros, and Luisa Salik. Thank you for listening.